How many Bible translations do you think you have available on your smartphone? Yeah, <laughs> hundreds, <laughs> lots and lots, right? So one of the interesting things to think about, I just went into my office this morning and I thought, okay, well, how many Bibles do I have? Uh, I have a J.B. Phillips translation. I have a New Living, a New American Standard translation, a New Living translation, the Message translation, uh, NIV study Bible, several NIV study Bibles, just sitting on my shelf, available to me. And then if I open my phone and go to like uh, Uversion or Bible.com, there are literally hundreds of translations and access to the Bible that we have. We're very privileged in North America. We live in a time and we live in a day when our access to God's Word is incredibly high. But there are places and people in the world today where that's not the case. And so let's watch this video and get a little bit of a sense of the need for Bible translation. Imagine you're at a banquet, but this feast isn't food or drink. It's a Bible banquet, and it's a big banquet. 7,099 guests, to be exact. One for every language of the world. At one end of the table, there is abundance. In English, there are hundreds of Bible translations to choose from, more than anyone could ever consume. But imagine if you were seated at the other end of the table. Imagine if you didn't have a Bible or even a single verse of scripture in your own language. What would you feel about a God who didn't speak your language? Can you imagine never having understood God's word? Would you have come to know him? This is Bible poverty. And Wycliffe Bible Translators was founded to end it. 1.5 billion people cannot access the Bible in their own language. 160 million do not have a single verse of scripture. It's not fair. It's not just. Will you help us battle this injustice? Our vision is to put an end to Bible poverty, to create universal access to the Bible. We're working to make God's word accessible to everyone, no matter what language they speak. Much has been accomplished, but much remains to be done. Please consider helping us end this injustice. This work needs your support through prayer, giving, or even going. Find out more at wycliffe.org.uk. So here at Jericho Ridge, one of our core values that you can see uh, that we have up every weekend is transformational truth. And when we talk about uh, transformational truth, we talk about the fact that God's word transforms us. But what about those who don't have access to God's word? 160 million people in the world today do not have a single verse of the Bible in a language of their heart. Incredible, in a day and a time like today. And we might think to ourselves, well, that doesn't sound so hard. I mean, we have technology, we have Google Translate, just dump it in and it'll come up with something. 
Um, but I think one of the challenges that we're going to bump into today as we explore this notion of what does it actually take to get a Bible into a given language? Hundreds of years of work went into getting our Bible to us in English. But what does it look like? What is the actual process for getting from having not a single verse in available to you to having at least part of the Bible available to you so that you can know and understand what it is that God wants. So that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. And we want to highlight for you just a little bit of like a road map, almost like a journey, that if you were to think about the process of Bible translation, what does that look like? Because here at Jericho, I don't know uh, if, you, if you connect the dots, but three of our uh, mission partners work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. So for us, every single year, uh, Jung Hoon and Pearl Lim uh, work with Wycliffe. Uh, we have John and Anita McCarthy and Steve and Ali Nicole. And so every year, just with those three partnerships that we have, when we give, almost $12,000 of Jericho's budget every single year goes towards Bible translation. So it's something that we're very heavily invested in. And we want to uh, talk about that today as to why are we so passionate about this, uh, helping people get uh, God's word in their own language. And so you're going to hear from each of our three supported mission partners uh, in various formats today. And we're going to uh, reflect out what they're doing, how they're doing. We're going to pray for them, uh, spend time getting to know them. So there's many ways you can do that. One of those, I'll just tell you right now, is on your table. It's those little Legos. Ben, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Legos, if I come with the mic to you? All right, tell us about the Legos. What's up with the Legos? Um, well, I made them. Okay, you made the packages. But what, okay, if, what are they of? If I was to try and put this together, what am I building? A map. A map of what? PNG. Which is what? Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is where you guys are going, right? You've been there, and then you've been there. True statement, all right? They've been back for a year, and then they're going to be heading out. So if you want a little bit of a challenge, then these Legos are on your table. You can open that up. There is instructions in them. Okay, and he's going to give some extra context. So since... Uh, we're there's always something that, that comes up. And so, no, they don't all have instructions on your tables. But the young adults over there have been having a great time with creative play, so I think that it's actually a win. Um, so thank you for rolling with it. But we have a whole bunch that actually are complete sets at the back, so feel free just to play with these ones. If you happen to get one of the ones with an instruction sheet, then great. And otherwise, just have fun with your creativity there. And uh, come and visit Ben at the back if you wanted to buy one there uh, with a donation. And it was kind of his way to contribute. And if you got the instructions, you'll see the little red dot is where approximately where we live in Papua New Guinea. All right. Awesome. All right, there's a couple other uh, creative engagement tools that I want to mention for you. One is uh, just at the back uh, at that station. And that has uh, three computers that if you are a person that likes puzzles, then there are linguistic puzzles at the back there. And I will tell you right away, I failed epically at every single one of them. 
Uh, they are tricky, but uh, it's, it's things like trying to figure out if this says this in this language, what might this be? So you're kind of, it's, it's piecing together uh, some languages. There's some indigenous First Nations languages from BC uh, that are represented there and a couple of puzzles. So if you want at any time, especially kids, if you want to go to the back there, uh, you can use the iPads, put the earphones on, and try your work. There's 14 different puzzles and uh, you can see it's not going to be very hard to beat my score, which is 0 for 14 on those. Uh, so go over and you can do that at any time during the morning. Uh, the other station that we have at the back is also for, well, we'll say it's for kids, but adults, you can do it as well. Uh, there are some coloring stations at the back there. And uh, right now, Steve and Ali, Nicole, are in Mexico. And Steve has just wrapped up doing a uh, language consultancy in Mexico with some of the indigenous languages in uh, and around southeastern Mexico. And so uh, Wycliffe actually got its start in Mexico. And so kids, there is a craft activity back there, a little star you can color, and you can take it home uh, with you if you want. So those are a few things that uh, you can wander back and do at any time. So um, we'll talk about a few of the other things that are on your table when we get to them. But right now, let's, let's just sort of imagine this process. Let's get it fixed in our minds. What does the road of map of Bible translation look like? What are the stages along that journey? And then we'll help you understand where the three mission partners that Jericho sponsors and are partners with, where they fit into that journey. So have a look at this. Now you might think Bible translation is a simple process of word substitution. It's much more than that. It's a rigorous process of bringing the Word of God to people who may never otherwise receive the hope of the Gospel. It's complicated, challenging, and immense responsibility. More art than science, a calling. We begin with language surveyors who go and figure out things like whether or not the people need a translation, if there's any local interest, and what the culture is like. Every language brings a new challenge, every culture a unique worldview. As a result, there are times when a community isn't ready for translation. In these cases, our translators do whatever is necessary to build gateways of trust. This usually happens through building relationships and serving the community through projects, like digging wells or providing healthcare. As we serve the community, we trust God to connect us with local translators, people who have grown up in their culture and know the language best. They'll work alongside Wycliffe's trained consultants who help guide the translation process. Some communities may need an alphabet and a written language before the team can even start translating, and that still may not be enough. The road to spiritual freedom is a long and winding one, and we must be willing to demonstrate God's love to the community. That could come in the form of literacy development, schooling, health education, or even a sanitation project. Whatever it takes, as long as it takes. When it's time to start, the local translators are often the ones who write the first draft in their own heart language. The team also creates footnotes and illustrations to help make the translation clear. The draft is revised and refined over and over again until they have a translation that conveys the meaning of God's Word as accurately and naturally as possible. But the checking doesn't stop there. 
consultants and mother tongue speakers test the manuscript against the original Greek and Hebrew. There are a series of tests, often involving input from the local church, to check the accuracy of terms that are tough to translate, like grace and salvation. If the text needs major revisions, the team writes a new draft and the process repeats, as often as needed. Hang in there, we're almost done. With an accurate, clear and natural translation, scripture can be formatted in a way that is most useful to the community. Sometimes it will be a book that needs printing, or audio versions of those same books, or even a movie like the Jesus film, whatever the culture is most likely to accept and use. And then comes the task of getting it into their hands, and that can involve a ton of logistics. This can mean shipping Bibles and audio players, setting up equipment to play the Jesus film, dealing with customs, and much more. With scripture in their hands for the first time ever, the people may need help applying scripture to their daily lives. And so, after all this work, time, and energy, we arrive at the end of the road. Something happens. Lives changed, hearts transformed. God's word becomes flesh and dwells among men. It is a new day. They have access to personal freedom and the life-changing message of Christ. So, when Jericho uh, started at Ari Mountain Secondary School almost 15 years ago, we had a couple that was training for this kind of work here. They had moved from Korea. They came to be part of our community. And uh, they were a um, really wonderful couple, them and their family. Uh, and their uh, family name is the Limbs. And so on your table there, you have uh, a couple of copies of just a little bit of an update from the Limbs. And the Limbs have been involved in uh, projects and translation and literacy work uh, right since we sent them out from the cafeteria at, at Ari Mountain Secondary School in 2007. And they're involved in uh, a country where a lot of the languages are not written down. They're oral languages. And so the decisions that they've had to make are, do, does this um, language group want to move forward with a written project? And most of them want to move forward with oral projects because they're very oriented towards storytelling. And so in one year last year, Jung Hoon was able to work with four different language groups and put some of the stories of the Old Testament uh, into their language in an audio format. And they loved hearing the stories of First and Second Kings, where the was the project focus for uh, 2018. And uh, this was uh, immense successfully received and so now he's going on and this year they're moving to a new area uh, in the eastern part of this country and they're doing more work in this kind of oral storytelling projects and so if you flip to the third page and you look these are just some of the highlights that they've sent through for us to receive and so if you look to uh, uh, number three Highlight number three, they talk about uh, coming home from the storytelling workshop where they went through the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. 
And then just as the story was finishing, they heard some noise in the bamboo trees behind their house. Turning their flashlight toward the direction of the noise, they found their suspicions confirmed a herd of elephants was out there eating bamboo shoots outside of their house. And uh, this people group that uh, Jung Hoon was working in are afraid of elephants because they cause damage to the crop and there have been reports of injury and even death to people. And so her husband, this uh, person's husband who had just come home from this storytelling workshop said, hey, I just heard a story about a powerful God who rescued young David from the large Philistine giant, Goliath. Why don't we pray about this? And so they began to pray. And when they finished, the elephants ended up at her aunt's house on the other side of the hill. And then aunts, the, her aunt prayed and the elephants came back to the other house. Uh, and so her husband prayed again, more specifically this time, Jung Hoon says, and the elephants finally left the village. And he notes that it's interesting, another term for elephant in this language means big person. And when they had just come from this workshop about the story of David beating the big person, Goliath, and then they had this experience, it immediately impressed and came, made God's word come alive to this people group in an incredible and fresh way. And so they learned about defeating the big persons uh, by prayer in faith. And so Jung Hoon and Pearl, we don't report from them often. They work in a country that is restricted and has limited access. Uh, and so they're there doing literacy work. Uh, and they're there doing oral storytelling translation, which is incredibly powerful. But you can take this home. And this is a little report and an update uh, from them as to what they've done in this last year uh, for us. And I asked them, are there things that we can pray about for you? And they mentioned two things. Uh, one thing is their oldest uh, daughter, Suji. Suji is graduating from high school this month and then is looking to go to college or university. Uh, and she's been accepted to a number of places in North America, including Trinity. Uh, but they're looking and they just don't have the funds available for them. And so they're really struggling right now to try and determine where would Suji be able to go uh, to school. And so that was a, a real prayer point uh, for them. And then the other thing that they asked is for this new oral Bible storytelling project that they're engaging in in the eastern section of this country. Uh, they asked us, would, God, would we pray that God would open the hearts of these people? And so can I get two volunteers? If you just stick your hand up, I'll come to you with the microphone. Um, who'd like to be willing to pray uh, for Suji and for her education and for their family? And then we'll get somebody else to, all right, Jared, we'll get you to pray for that. And then um, we'll get a volunteer who'd be willing to pray for this new storytelling project after Jared prays for Suji. John? Okay, thanks. So, Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you that, that all truth and, and knowledge and wisdom belongs to you. And we thank you that you share it. Um, and we pray that Suji would find a suitable place to absorb it. And, 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 and grow and mature as um, one of your disciples. And um, as Suji thinks about career and next steps. But I, it sounds like, too, that there are some financial challenges and big questions surrounding um, where Suji will live, um, go, to, go to school, um, these sorts of things. And so 
We do pray that you would be really generous and clear and um, would give Suji the opportunity um, to, um, to discover um, something that, that, that just brings about a sense of excitement and, and joy and uh, something that furthers your, your purposes. And we pray this with confidence because uh, your purposes can't be thwarted. And so we know that you're going to do something pretty cool. And so we wait patiently. Um, we ask for wisdom and guidance. And please uh, bring Suji and uh, the whole uh, Lim family to mind when, uh, when you'd like us to pray again. <laughs> Amen. God, we just pray for these uh, uh, oral storytelling workshops. God, we pray that, um, yeah, just continued transformation and that just that your Holy Spirit would continue to work through um, the hearts and minds of people as they, um, yeah, just just hear things and um, and finally, yeah, have the, the lights turn on, God, as your Holy Spirit only can do. And we just pray for, um, yeah, just continued uh, excitement and spread of these uh, uh, oral oral Bible story workshops, and uh, yeah, we just pray for the people that they're going to reach. Amen. All right, so uh, we'll shift gears now from the limbs who are involved at the very early part of that project, going into new communities, learning about the needs of the uh, people groups that are there, and then working to try and see, do we even write this language down? Is that something that they're desiring? Uh, if you think about a, a, an area like Papua New Guinea, though, there are so many languages and so many translation projects uh, at work in Papua New Guinea, then when you put a bunch of translators working in the same location, then you need support all around that. And so John and Anita uh, have uh, stepped up and, and been called and said yes to going and being a part of that support team. They're both trained as teachers. And so their goal and their vision is working in a school in Ukaramba in Papua New Guinea and providing the support necessary for all of the kids so that the translation workers that are doing field projects in Papua New Guinea uh, can receive, uh, their kids can receive the education that they need. Am I doing okay so far? All right, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Let's have some fun. And you just got a little bit of a game for us to play to help us understand. So, Ben, are you going to help us out as well? You're going to do some distribution? All right, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you guys. Nice. Um... So, be honest, how many of you guys, um, how many of you guys, uh, probably if it wasn't so familiar, would probably have a lot of troubles figuring it out from the Pigeon English version? Hands, yeah, probably would have. Thank goodness you picked out some key words, maybe, that you were able, okay, this is close to English. Uh, again, uh, Pigeon English is, is pretty, I mean, it's not close, it's pretty close, uh, easy enough. If you didn't, maybe, uh, you know, all your 10 or 11 years of French education in our Canadian school system uh, readied you to be able to read it in, uh, in French. Uh, so we picked these two languages uh, for a particular reason. One, I mean, the Pidgin English version is pretty close to English. Uh, but it's not really, right? And that's what a lot of people are facing. They might have a translation in a, uh, you know, there might be a nearby translation, but it's not in their real language. It's not in their heart language, as we kind of say. Uh, so it's, it might 
have some familiar words, right? You might be able to pick it out. If you guys have, you know, know the passage really well, then, uh, then you probably then revert immediately back to the way you've heard it in, in English, which is what would probably touch your heart. Um, we picked the French version because, at least in Papua New Guinea, uh, English is actually the official language. And so, I mean, they have Bibles in English. Why can't they just read them? Uh, but very few people actually speak lang the language. So similarly to how we learn French in school, uh, I don't spend a lot of my time uh, actually using French or speaking it, and I probably couldn't read it very well. So uh, I just want you to... In, the people in Papua New Guinea, this is their reality. And some, of course, uh, most of them are, are, uh, don't have a level of education where they read very well at all, right? So they would need a, um, some sort of uh, oral translation so that they could uh, hear God's word. Uh, and again, it would have to be in a language that they could easily follow and understand. Um, we wanted to tell you guys uh, just a little bit about why um, we were, uh, are, and, and uh, we're still passionate about uh, Bible translation. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about this in terms of a couple of things that have been brought up actually at Jericho uh, over the last few weeks. Um, one, of course, is uh, just the importance of having the Bible in general. Um, I don't think, it, and one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the last uh, couple of weeks here at Jericho was just thinking about false teachings. Right? If you look at the New Testament, pretty much uh, every writer of the New Testament, uh, excluding maybe James, uh, talks about, uh, you know, being aware of false teachers, right? And so this is what happens when you're not able to uh, check what the preacher is saying, what Brad is saying on a Sunday, or any other person is saying about the Bible. If you don't actually have the Bible in a language that you understand, then there's no way to, for you to actually be able to verify this. This is why the Bible was put together in the first place, right? So many different doctrines were going on. The leaders of the church were like, well, we need to see what the apostles said, put the Bible together, you know, for the most part, I'm sure there was more to it than that, but, <laughs> but anyways, and the other thing was uh, something that Rose brought up on Easter Sunday, even within that, right, if, if there's not access, right, like back in, uh, you know, the days when the Roman church, very few people read, obviously there was no printing presses, so very few people had access to the Bible, and then so uh, a very influential leader could say something like it was mentioned that Mary Magdalene uh, you know, was, was a prostitute. And even though it wasn't necessarily biblically supported at all, even today, right, it still um, is basically what the majority of people think when they think of, of Mary Magdalene. And so, um, you know, we think that because truth is tra transformational, right, it has to be, uh, we have to have the structure and support to hold it up, and that is the Bible. Right? We can't just go from uh, what people are teaching because, you know, the, uh, the gospel message will spread, right? But it needs to have that structure, that support underneath it, which is the Bible, so that we can always check, so that we don't get misled by false teachings, so that we can always refer back to the Bible. And we have that amazing privilege. We can do that, right? But that's not the reality for, for most people in the world, or many people in the world, that you saw the numbers and so uh, in Papua New Guinea in particular, um, this is what we're passionate about. So Anita's gonna share a little bit more about why we're excited to be in Papua New Guinea. Okay, so, um, so as Brad mentioned, so we have been teaching at Ukrampa International School um, and primarily in the science department. So we are science and math teachers. Um, so the school is there primarily to support the families that are involved in Bible translation, 
but it also supports families from other missions in PNG and also Papua New Guinean national students. So the work of Bible translation, as that video, the roadmap, showed so amazingly well, um, it involves so many roles directly and indirectly. So I'm just going to show you a few slides that are some of um, slides from within Papua New Guinea of these different roles. I'm just going to cycle through them pretty quickly. Um, but just so that you can kind of see real people that are doing these things in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, so... There we go. So starting with surveying language groups to see if they want a Bible in their own language, that's someone's very first conversation with a language group. Um, and then the next slide shows that's the Katie family. They are uh, language surveyors and they live with us in Ukarumpa. Um, so following that, then we have also training Papua New Guineans uh, to work as co-translators on their own uh, language projects. So that is a picture of the training center in Ukarumpa. And the Papua New Guinean co-translators are brought up to that training center and they are educated and they are given the tools they need to be co-translators. So it is not a missionaries come in and do it all. It is we work together. Um, and the next slide shows the Powell family and they are from Holland. Um, and they, he is the director of the training center there. Um, so following, so we have survey, we have training, um, and then we have the actual translation and literacy work. Uh, so that's uh, some trans, uh, consultant checking that was mentioned actually in the video. That's an example of that happening in real time there. And uh, family, uh, the Fafs, that's Sue and Jerry, and they became kind of uh, sort of adopted grandparents for our kids in PNG and taught Jacob violin when she wasn't in the uh, village doing translation. So it's a real family there. Um, and then to creating audio, audio recordings of the books of the Bible. Uh, so this is, um, they were doing actually with Sue and Jerry, they were doing, um, recording the Gospel of Mark. Um, and the next slide shows that that's Jonathan Vanderwall and he specifically does like the tech side of uh, the recording. And, uh, and they can't get that done unless they have people that are savvy in that particular area. So it kind of blew our mind when we saw all these different roles. So. Um, we wanted to share this with you. Um, then the next would be follow-up work to make sure that the people are equipped to use and understand the Bibles. Um, and so that is actually a SALT course uh, that's happening, scripture application and I believe and language tr leadership training. Uh, so that comes after a group has the Bible in their own language. So we don't just say, here's your Bible, see you later. Um, Wycliffe is really passionate about making sure they actually know how to use the Bible and there's discipleship and there's follow-up. Uh, and the next slide, uh, that is the Aubreys and they are our next door neighbors in Papua New Guinea and uh, they are from the Netherlands. Um, so then also further courses are run in the village on applying the gospel within cultural, existing cultural constructs. Uh, often there's a lot of misunderstandings, there's a lot of even um, mistreatment of women. Um, so there's trauma healing workshops, there are workshops on prayer, um, all sorts of different things and follow-up um, and sorcery, things specifically addressing cultural, existing cultu cultural con uh, constructs and strongholds. And so that's the, a prayer workshop happening in the village. And then the next slide, that is our friend Linda Wick. And God also moves in funny ways. So she actually came as a physical therapist. And then God worked in her heart and really uh, put a, on her heart scripture use and these workshops. And she's been um, kind of moved into a different role there.
Um, and then following that, uh, there are, yeah, so with all of those different uh, roles, there are so many people involved. So that's the roadmap. But then here's kind of our part. So for every person directly involved in translation, there are numerous others indirectly supporting. Uh, so for example, auto shop, people maintaining vehicles so they can get to the village. That's an auto shop rescue underway right there. Happens quite a bit. Um, and the next slide, that's the Cray, or the Coons family from the UK. Uh, the next one, providing, um, working on computers that are used for translation and communication for partners at home. So we have an intranet, we have a server, we have internet, uh, a satellite that often goes offline and then we are not, uh, not able to communicate and these awesome people work to get it back online for us. So the next slide, that's the Ellis's and he worked in computer services. Uh, then we have providing power and electricity so that translation work can happen in Ukarampa. One of the reasons why they bring translation work and co-translators to Ukarampa is because in the village, but besides not having power, it's a lot of distractions and a lot of interruptions. And if anything big happens, the work stops for a whole week. So they bring them up to Ukarampa and so much gets done, but we need power. And so the next, uh, uh, next slide, that's the Craig family and they work in that area, um, John Craig works in that area. And then uh, flying translators to and from the villages and bringing them supplies, so aviation is obviously a huge necessity and a lot of these villages are super remote and you can't get to them very easily. Um, so they've, the pilots there and the helicopter pilots, they know how to even like land on the sides of volcanoes and they're pretty well trained. Uh, and that's the Jones family, good friends of ours, and they have quintuplets Elliot's age, so everyone with a six-year-old, imagine that for a second. Um, and then be, be thankful for the one. Um, so they are pretty awesome. And, uh, and then from that, also ordering groceries so that the translators and support workers can feed their families. Uh, so that's an aisle in our store that is all crackers. Those are things that are exports from PNG. When you are really craving a cracker and you go and the only ones there are beef and tomato flavored, it's a real downer, but they're awesome. And the store managers, the next slide is uh, the store manager. Uh, they're from Oregon actually. And they will bring in, like they'll bring in a Cadbury cream egg maybe at Easter or three months after Easter, but I don't care, it's delicious. Um, so they're pretty fantastic and they listen to the community and they try and just kind of bring a little taste of home to us um, when we don't feel like a beef and tomato cracker. I never will feel like one, but my children really love them. Um, and then lastly, us teachers, uh, we're there so that the kids can have a quality education um, that is transferable to their home countries. So as we've said before, we spent a lot of time... Oh. Yeah, okay, that's one vote for beef and tomato crackers and one alone. Um, so we've spent a lot of time just loving on these kids. Beyond the classroom, we get to have them in our home. Uh, we develop relationships with them and right now we're in a stage where we're able to FaceTime with the kids that, we, that are off all around the world and trying to get used to their first year of university. They actually just finished up, most of them. And as our, on our way actually back to PNG, one of the kids is gonna drive four hours from his home in Harvey Bay in Australia and spend five days with us um, and just be together because they are a family to us. Um, and uh, so yeah, we have a, just a video and it's something that um, actually a former UIS, Ukrump International School grad put together using some ideas I had just to share our heart of why we go and our 
good friends and former Jericho people, uh, Daryl and Jody, asked us to get some video footage of the kids there saying why it was impactful for us to be there. So I got over how weird it felt to video them saying nice things about us. Um, and I just wanted to share one of these girls' hearts and why she found it impactful to have people like us there. So this is not, I don't like sharing these things because it's not about us, but it's about why these kids are important and why they need mentors and teachers and uh, people to love them. So. All right, awesome. I've had the uh, privilege of knowing John and Anita before they left. When I first came to Jericho, they were youth leaders pouring into a lot of what are now young adults here at Jericho and uh, really helping me transition and get to know youth. And then I was selfishly very sad when they left for PNG because I lost two amazing youth leaders to there and then was selfishly happy when they were coming back for a year. And, and we thank you for jumping in again with youth and... Uh, and the young adults and getting involved with that as well. And now I'm again selfishly sad that they're leaving again. Uh, but I'm very happy for those youth in PNG uh, that get to uh, learn from you and be mentored by you and, uh, and um, as your kids grow up there with their Pokemon cards and, and all that fun stuff. So I wanna uh, pray for you guys. And, and one other thing is as well, uh, we don't have it right now, but there is a uh, check coming with support uh, from January till June, uh, I think it's till June, uh, to help cover some of your plane tickets, or probably cover your plane tickets on the way there. So that's coming for you <laughs> as well. He's asking the real questions over here. How much is it? <laughs> All right, so I just want to send you guys uh, with some prayer, and then we're going to transition into the next step of Bible translation. Father, we thank you for the hearts of John and Anita, uh, just their hearts for youth, which are so evident in not just that video, but the ways in which uh, they live their lives in, in teaching and in schools, as well as pouring into youth here at Jericho, or pouring into youth at PNG, and now those youth that are spread all across the world. And so as they prepare to travel, we pray for your provision over them, uh, for the support to be raised, for them to do their work over there without any, any stress or worry. We pray for health as well, as we know traveling can... Uh, take a lot out of them it did last time and so we just pray your protection over them over them and their kids uh, as they travel uh, just away from any illness or or mysterious diseases that come lord we just pray the protection over all of that and as they come back into ukarampa and and prepare to head back into the school that uh, you would rekindle relationships they've had before and uh, just bring solid new relationships with the new youth that are coming in that they're teaching and so we just pray your blessing over them as they follow the calling you have in their hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's good. So the other uh, family that we have uh, that's part of our church, how many of you know Dr. Steve? Yeah, you guys? Whoever calls him Dr. Steve? Never. Steve and Allie Nicole are part of our uh, congregation. And uh, Steve uh, is, uh, has his PhD in linguistics and served for many, many years, uh, I think it was 14 or 15, with the Digo tribe in uh, doing a translation in Africa. And, uh, and he's taught uh, through universities in Africa and uh, in the UK. And then in 2000 and, help me, Meg, what year? Uh, I have it here somewhere. 2013. 2013, they came and, uh, and joined uh, staff at CanIL. CanIL stands for the Canadian Institute of Linguistics, 
and it functions on the Trinity Western campus, and it's a partner with Wycliffe. And so uh, one of the things that obviously we need is we need people who are going to be able to train those people who go out into the field, and Steve and Allie are in that role right now. I uh, mentioned earlier that they're currently in Mexico right now. Steve uh, tends to specialize in the African nations, but was asked to come down into Mexico and do some linguistics work there and do some workshops, and so he's done that. And, uh, and they're just now uh, enjoying some of the beauty of Mexico for the next couple days, and then they'll return home. Um, but Steve is at that end of things where he is the one now, uh, rather than being out on the field, um, more so training those up. So uh, last year, for a couple of years, we had Jesse and Stephanie Workman and their kids, uh, part of our church here. Jesse was training at CanIL and getting ready. And now they're, they're back in the States waiting for all their uh, documentation to get uh, finalized so that they can head off on and be in the field in South Africa uh, doing the work of linguistics and translation. And that's due in large part to people like Steve who are at the Institute full-time training, teaching, using the skills that they've acquired on the field and uh, in, in the world of academia and training these new people. It takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of finances to be able to send a Jesse and Steph, uh, Stephanie off to South Africa or to send John and Anita or Pearl and Jung Hoon. Uh, and so uh, that's why we spend so much time and energy and effort, uh, and often it's behind the scenes, but why we are intentional about sending uh, a large portion of our budget and our finances uh, to the work of Bible translation because it's it's such a huge need around the world and again if you remember that video at the very beginning where it showed the banquet table and we get to sit at the very plentiful end it's a beautiful place to be but we also then have the privilege and the responsibility to uh, feed the people at the other end of that so we thank you for your contributions I'm going to invite uh, John, uh, Joel and Sharon they're going to come up and uh, 